Well, good afternoon and thank you once again for joining me for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here and we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at one of our Harvard Business Review tips. Today's one is craft a strategy for audience input during your presentation. We're also going to be having our chat with Christina and we're going to talk about the value of collaboration. But right now we're going to pop over and have a chat with Kimberly Claire Campbell who is a digital business mentor and we're going to be talking about creating content online. Good afternoon, Kimberly. Hi, Julian. So well, thanks for joining us. I, I understand that there are seven different types of audience viewing your online content. <clears throat> Not yes, everyone is are. looking for the same thing. Can you explain no. that to our listeners? So when we ourselves go shopping, when we're at different stages of the buying cycle, we're looking for different types of information. So I've divided them up into different categories to just make it easier for us to understand the type of contract can blah, type of content we need to create for our audience. So there's the window shoppers, the curious cruisers, explorers, taste testers, solution seekers, the rinse and repeat clients and the advocates. Well, well, let's have a look at all of them individually. Let's talk first of all about the window shopper. So the window shopper stumbles across your content. That's the kind of person, you know, we're at the dentist, we're searching through our phone or looking at a magazine and we find um, an article that just piques our curiosity and we read a bit more about it. So this type of client isn't specifically looking for information about you or your product or service, but they read it, they're interested, and they want to know a little bit more. It's not something that you need to put a lot of detail or depth into this information. It's a superficial how-to guy and a guide. So what about the, uh, the curious cruiser? a bit of a tongue twister that one yeah. um, they're getting to know you so they've read something that you've done or they've seen a video that you've produced or they've started following you on Facebook or other social media and they're keen to read a bit more about the topic that you're writing about or informing people about and um, Facebook groups are really great for doing this kind of thing because you can um, look at questions that people pose and just provide a little bit more insight and depth to that information. You can create Pinterest pins from articles that you're blogging about or links to videos and collective websites, so like um, eBay, Made It, Creative Collective, where you can list different products and services that you have. So... Uh Moving on to the next one then, the next one, the Explorer, is obviously looking for a little bit more content again. Yeah, so they've definitely got a problem now and they're looking for solutions. So they've looked at a few different people's blog posts or videos or products and they're trying to compare. So they're looking for your unique selling position. They're trying to find out why they should do business with you. Are you the same as everybody else? Or have you got something really different that makes you their type of person to deal with? So the um, in previous parts, the information was really important. Now it's discovering who you are is important. They're trying to get to know and like you as a content author. Yes, because uh, we always buy from people that we really like, don't we? 
definitely. So, so we've we've got the explorer who's looking for that uniqueness. What about the taste tester? So they've found the uniqueness. They they connected with you. They like what you have to offer, and they're ready to dip their toe in the water. So the type of content which is good for taste testers to try you out with is cheat sheets, quizzes, uh, discovery calls where you have some time on the phone to see if you and the other person connect really well and are good to work with, and doing podcasts or mini courses or doing presentations is another really good way to help this person try you out before they buy. And and some sort of an offer, I presume, would be good too. Yes, definitely. Okay, so we've now got the uh, the solution seeker. Yes, so they've tried you out, they like what they've found, and they're ready to do business with you. So you need to make it really easy for them to purchase from you. So, yeah, Sorry? Yeah. So when... Um, you're writing your blog post, so you've got your videos. It's really important to have hyperlinks or clicks to your deeper content and to your shopping cart so that they can purchase. And call to actions are essential with all of these steps too. All right. So uh, now the next one's an interesting one, the rinse and repeat. Yeah. So we all like clients that keep coming back. They're much cheaper to... Um, engage because they've already been through all your step processes and they've liked what they've got, they come and buy from you again. So it's really important when you're dealing with customers repeatedly that you're consistent so that they can um, guarantee for themselves and their own reassurance that your quality and your reliability is exceptional um, you're very timely with your delivery. They don't have to wait for ages to get hold of you, whether that's a product or a service. And also that apart from amazing customer service, you acknowledge that they're a repeat customer because we all like to be acknowledged for what we do for people. And the final one, and I think speaks for itself, the advocate, obviously the person that goes around telling everybody how good you are. Absolutely. And whereas in previous areas... It was all about um, your credibility and your trustworthiness as a provider of products or service on the line. With your advocate, it's their uh, trustworthiness because they're sharing your information with their friends and it's their reputation that's on the line if you let them down. So it's really important to acknowledge your advocates and live up to their trust. So as we were going through those various uh, uh people that buy, um, mm-hmm. you were talking about different uh, forms of online for different people to some extent. So I yes. presume that, uh, uh, as you were saying, Facebook or podcast uh, has a better prominence for some st- styles than others. Yes. Yeah, so video is really coming to the fore now, but a lot of us don't like being on video. Um but it's important to provide lots of different ways for people to access your information. So if you do produce a video, 90% of people actually watch videos with no sound. So subtitles are really important or to um, have a transcript of that video content underneath the video posts 
so people can read the information, skim through quickly and decide whether they want to access more information. Um, a great way to think about creating content, because it's a lifetime thing, it's, it's something that you produce continuously and consistently at each of the different levels and gradually build up a great library of resources for your clients or customers. You can turn um, your video into a blog post. You can use snippets from that blog post to create micro blog posts for things like Facebook and Instagram. And you can create great quotes and turn them into memes using programs like Canva to put text over pictures. So that one piece of content can be multitasked for different levels of interest within your business. So what you're telling me really is I've, I can't just write something and stick it up on everywhere. I've got to really be mindful of this. And, and I believe there's a government program that will help people look at some of this. Yes, it's the Digital Business Solutions Program and where um, the hub up at Curry is supporting that. You can jump on our website, huntervalleyhub.com.au to find more information. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Kimberly. We'll have a chat with you another time. Thank you, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Kimberly Claire Campbell there with some very valuable information. Don't just write one little bit of stuff and stick it up on the website or on your Facebook. We've got to really be mindful of those customers or those potential different styles of people that are looking at the content. Pop over and have a chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? Is it still raining? It's, it's, nice, it's all right at the moment. You're down in Melbourne. I am in Melbourne, yeah. So, surprisingly, it's nice. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about the value of collaboration. Yes, so what we have, I've just come out of a meeting um, this morning and there are three separate organisations completely unrelated uh, from three different cities. So we've got Newcastle, Melbourne and um, there and the total, total aspect of collaboration that, that is happening around the room on what can we do, what can we share, how can we get things moving um, with an organisation that we're all trying to, to uh, promote to adopt some of their practices because they're highly involved with the Global Ground Challenges. So the level of cooperation um, and collaboration that, that is happening in that room is quite remarkable because what I find um, is that in some instances there's token collaboration. I think we've spoken about this before, but the actual essence of sharing everything that you know in order to help somebody else and give someone else a leg up um, is something that, that few people are really blessed to experience and a lot more people would be very blessed to experience. So some awesome examples of collaboration um, happening and I, th I thought it was a good thing for us to talk about right now because yeah. it's nearly December, people are planning theoretically what might be going on next year and a really good exercise is to go in your wildest dreams, which business, which organisation, who would you love to collaborate um, with to create something new. And, of course, the end result has to be a win-win for both organisations. But what might that look like? And I think we've spoken before, fashion do this really well. So fashion fashion designers will collaborate to bring out um, a, a, joint, um, a joint fashion label and that works for both of them because they get to be creative with someone else rather than on their own, so to speak. And they might associate themselves with a particular store. So they might do uh, a collaboration with a particular store around a particular line. Uh, and sometimes there's some really high-end designers that will design specifically um, for a low-end store. So that, that in, And when I say low-end, I mean low, lower um, economic mark yeah, on, the, yeah. on the product. 
in which case it means that people who normally can't afford their product can now afford the product. So different levels of collaboration, um, really creating win-wins for different organisations. Yeah, and I know one of the resistance to that, of course, is uh, people worry about competition and losing their edge yeah. and, and so forth. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, we we actually call that co-opetition. Oh, okay. So you know, who, you who who do you, can you actually? It's a, it's a cross between competition and collaboration. And if I said to you, where do you go for coffee? Like, where you know, where would you go for coffee? A lot of people will say to me, oh, we just head down Derby Street. So there's, you know, how many coffee shops are there down there? So at some point, Derby Street has a reputation for being awesome for an array of coffee shops. And they're all in competition with each other, but they're also co-opetition because if someone thinks coffee, they think Derby Street, like in my particular case, others others think other locations. Yeah. But it brings people to that area and it's a win-win for everybody, unless you've got bad coffee. And, of course, uh, cooperation really isn't anything new. I mean, no. back in the 80s when... Uh, when Apple was in trouble and uh, was re uh, Steve Jobs resurfaced, um, Microsoft was heavily involved in that. Yeah, you know, it, there's, a, it, there's a lot to be said, especially now that we're looking at things on a global level. So it's not only a local level we're looking at things anymore. It's not only a national level. It's a global level. How do we actually make the world a better place? So if we look at what the, the 12 grand challenges are or we go to the United Nations, you know, what are the United Nations new um, new challenges and how do we solve all the problems of the world we do that better when we do it together and there's the, you know we've spoken before about the social bottom line for businesses what is it that could, we can create all together to create a better planet for us for our children for anybody that comes after you know after our children we really need to look after each other yeah, and I suppose it's a, a really an idea of keeping your eyes open and, in fact, thinking outside the square to look at other businesses yeah. and go, how could I use that in my business? And then let's go and talk to them. Yeah, that's right. So if, any idea that you get from somewhere outside of your own business and that you can adapt into your own business. But it's interesting, I was having a conversation um, with somebody recently about that square that we say we need to jump out of. Yeah. What I want to know is who created the square in the first place? When <laughs> did we ever put the limitations on ourselves to say we need to jump out of the box? And you know what the answer I received was, was the education system. The yeah. education system teaches us to think within a square, you know, so to speak, um, with limited creativity, etc. So how do we get, how do we break that so that we don't have to jump outside the box so that there is no box, there are no boundaries. I hope the uh, education now is moving towards creativity and problem solving anyway, so that that will be good for the future. It will be, but, you know, we need to be very careful with what we're doing. The, the new push on teaching all children how to code um, from primary school, I find a little disconcerting. Mm, too much. Because by the time, well, no, not too much. By the time they get out, they're not going to need to code because, the you know, algorithms will be created by AI. Anything that can be repeated will be a, a job that is given to an AI somewhere. So yeah. it's artificial intelligence to, a, to some kind of robotic system. We need to be teaching people how to think creatively, how to explore. Yeah. Because it's in that exploration that new jobs, new opportunities are going to come. You know, if we're teaching people how to do something that is robotic, the robots are going to take over. Right. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time again. Have have a good day down in Melbourne. We'll talk to you again next week. Christina there. We seem to have lost her than last, but that was all right. Um, and we'll come back with some more in a moment. We've got time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips, and this one's called Craft a Strategy for Audience Input During a Presentation. Asking audience members what they think during a presentation is a great way to heed the pleasure principle. 
When people feel their voices and ideas are being heard, they're happy and therefore more likely to open their minds to what you're proposing. But you need to decide in advance when you'll ask people for input. Maybe you want to ensure that people are following along as you make your argument. Or perhaps you want to draw out their knowledge to support your message. Either can be useful. Just avoid empty questions aimed at the whole room. Is everyone following? Or good is not a good example. Those don't captivate anyone. People will just nod. Instead, directly address individuals. Does that seem like the biggest problem with the customer satisfaction, Mary? given your frontline perspective. So I says giving those questions directly to people is a good way of getting their input. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, creating content online and, and the different types of people that are looking online and the different places that they're looking online. So it's important that we don't just have one message and stick it up there on the internet. It could be uh, not doing much value for us. Um, and we've also talked about the value of cooperation. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to chat with Chartered Accountant Tony Vidray about the current ta taxation issues. We'll have a minute on innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and, as Bob Marley once said, love the life you live, live the life you love. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>